<laughs> Good morning. Well, I'm excited to be with you. If I don't know you, um, my name is Jeremy, and I'm one of the pastors here at Shepherd, and excited to be walking into this new journey, a new sermon series that is part of our broader theme. And that theme is a blessing and a curse, where we want to unpack throughout this year this idea of what it means to be a recipient of God's blessing. It's far more than the hashtag blessed that we see in our world. That actually God's blessing is his presence in our lives that, that gives life an abundant life and multiplies it and pushes us outward to become springs of living water of God's blessing. And there is a curse out there. And so this curse, this experience of the brokenness that is in the world, God wants to meet with his blessing. And so we have been unpacking the scriptures and understanding from the Bible what those words mean and how we've used them. And now we wanna shift. Now we wanna move into a tangible, like how do we apply this? And how do we look at um, using this language of blessing and living out of the blessing that God has for us in all sorts of different areas? And the first one that we're addressing is, as you can see in front of us, is a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I thought about doing the whole song with the like cardigan and taking off my shoes. Actually, someone at, at Agave this week gave me that idea, someone from Shepherd. But, uh, but I realized if you were to watch me put on a cardigan, it's kind of like watching a turtle try to flip back over uh, from its back. So, so I'm gonna spare you that. But yes, we are talking about neighboring, a blessing and a curse. And gosh, like the idea of being a neighbor can be both a blessing and a curse sometimes, can it? But God has called us to love our neighbor. He has called us to live an outward shaped life. And so I want to tell you about like Michelle and I's first neighborhood. So Michelle and I, we get married and we're looking up places to live and, you know, we look at the bank account and the places to live and like, you know how you narrow down the search on the internet and you're like, um, there's like two places in all the city that we can afford to live. We're like rubbing two pennies together, hoping a third one pops out. And so like, we're, we're looking at these places and we see Valley View Villas and we're like, ooh, that sounds nice. And so we call up Valley View Villas and schedule like to look at the apartment. The apartment is small. It's 525 square feet, you know? And so we're like, okay, driving to Valley View Villas and we're driving along and all of a sudden we see the sign, Valley View Senior Villas. <laughs> we're like, oh no. So we literally like drive by it thinking maybe there's a Valley View Villas next door. Maybe that's it. And we call them and they're like, no, no, this is it. What we've done is we've opened it to all ages because we couldn't fill it in this season. So come on in. And so we come in and like everything is like, like the pool and the jacuzzi is pristine. Like no one ever uses it, you know? And like, you know, you walk and the only room that's really used is the community room. And they're like playing bunko in it or something, you know? And so Michelle and I look at the apartment, we're like, great, we sign up. So our first like apartment, we did like retirement in reverse. We like, our first apartment was like 55 and over, you know? And some things that you need to know about living in uh, uh, 55 and plus, you think you have to be quiet all the time. False. In fact, everyone takes out their hearing aids and turns their TVs way up loud. Like I could be playing my electric guitar as loud as I want and no one would care, you know? 
So we had this neighbor who lived next to us. There's like little soffits and our door's here and his door's there. And like on the wall next to it has our name plate, like Jeremy and Michelle King, you know? And so we meet our neighbor and start having conversation. We're standing out on the soffit. And he's like, Jerry, it's good to meet you. Like <laughs> I move over to the name plate. I'm like, a few minutes later, Jerry, it was so great to talk to you. Like, and so uh, this goes on and on and on. And like, so I'm Jerry, so much so that Michelle starts calling me Jerry. <laughs> so to this day, if I get a card from Michelle, it's like, dear Jerry. <laughs> and after last service, people were like, hey, Jerry, as I'm walking out, I'm like, what did I just do? But this is our first neighboring experience uh, as a married couple. And like, but all, it's all those idiosyncrasies. It's all those like little things that, that we get to learn about our neighbors and sometimes like get wrong. And that we do this together, it's very human. That we live together in a place and a time. And you might be saying, Jeremy, why are we doing a neighboring series now? Have you seen the outside? It's like, it's like the frozen tundra. I'm not gonna, I haven't seen my neighbors for three months. And that's true, you probably won't see him for another couple months, but what we wanna do is part of our larger vision here is we wanna be the church that has equipped every person that calls Shepherd home how to be a neighbor in the name of Jesus. How to be in a neighbor that, that the tangible love of Jesus just naturally flows out of us. Not in like a weird sort of marketing way, but in like a, a real and tangible outflow of what God's doing in us. So we wanna take this Lenten series, the six weeks, and build a, a toolkit of being a blessing in our neighborhood. You, you've noticed we don't really have a neighborhood unless you count deer and coyotes. Um, but we, we are a church of neighborhoods. And so we want every neighborhood that you live in to be impacted by this series, to be impacted so that when the thaw comes, we're ready to go. And so we have to take a look at some of the ways that Jesus taught about neighboring. And so our first text for this series is in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. And in them, Jesus says this. He says, once, uh, on one occasion, there was an expert of the law who stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And that word for read it is um, anagonosko. It's like, how do you know it experientially? How do you understand it deeply? How do you live it? And so he answered, the teacher of the law said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now pause, this teacher of the law was someone who really understood the, the scriptures. So the law in the Bible, um, when they talk about that, they're talking about God's instruction, Torah, on how to live the life of one called out by God. And so that happened in the first five books of the Bible that, that's called the Torah. And so this would have been a religious leader, a religious teacher. And he takes two passages of scripture and he puts them together. And he had probably heard Jesus give this same teaching because we see it from Jesus' mouth in two other gospels. In Mark chapter 12, and in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is the one who says these words. In Luke, we have it from this teacher of the law. And it's from two passages, ready? Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. It's a very famous prayer to the Hebrew people called the Shema. 
And it's a prayer that they still pray today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now the neighbor as yourself is from a different scripture, and that is in Leviticus 19.18. And so uh, this man crams these two passages together and basically saying, hey, this, what, what God asks of us is that we love God and we, we love neighbor. This sums up the whole of the teaching. And so this is how Jesus responds to him because he knows, Jesus knows about this guy that there's a hidden agenda going on. He's trying to test him. And so he's trying to worm through some loopholes and Jesus is about to pull it closed. He says, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Anyone else in this room like try to find the loopholes and things that we hear from God sometimes? I do. In fact, I have to confess to you as I start this whole series on neighboring, I, I haven't been very good at living this out. That I've found loopholes in it. That I've tried to find ways to be like, oh, well, I'm so busy with work that I can't really have time to get to know my neighbors. Anyone else? Just me? Okay, just leave me up here all by myself. That's fine. I'll confess to you, it'll be great. Or that, hey, I have a larger church that I have to get to know. It's hard to get to know even the people in my church and I'm called to love them. Yep, absolutely true. But am I using it as a loophole for what God's asking of me in the scriptures to love the people next to me? You see, what God is asking of us is that, that these loopholes get closed, they're pulled off, that we pull them tight. And he, this question of who is my neighbor is our way of kind of like, well, it would be really easy for me to like shape the definition of neighbor such that I only have to love the people I like. Anyone else in the room? Right? That we want to shape that definition. That we want to narrow down the pool to make it more manageable or easier. But that isn't what God is asking us to do. That isn't, and whatever God asks us to do, by the way, he empowers us to do. So this isn't something where like, uh, you know, you gotta muster it up and just do it. Like there are some elements that, to that that we have to like, hey, I gotta take a step. But at the same time, God empowers us to live out these values. But I wonder, what if, the solution to some of our greatest societal problems has been right in front of us this whole time. This whole series is taken from a book called The Art of Neighboring. And if you wanna buy that as a tool, there's, or there, there's all sorts of resources, like kind of questions that we've pulled out of it that you can get at our neighboring help desk right outside to the right as you leave. But you can get this book on Amazon pretty easily and it's a, a great tool for us. You see, they argue in this book that Jesus meant literally that we are to love the people next to us. And so we have to have a definition of neighbor and neighboring that matches what the scripture is kind of implying here. And I'm gonna give us a working definition. That working definition is this. Neighboring is loving people where you are because of who God says they are. You see, nothing that they do to earn it. Like, I can like my neighbor because they're nice to me, but I'm called to love my neighbor because God says they have unsurpassable worth because they're made in his image. And sometimes that's hard. Like, that's difficult and challenging. It isn't complicated. It's actually quite simple. 
but it can be a challenge, can it? Amen. Anyone have that neighbor? If you don't have that neighbor, you might be that neighbor. I'm just like. <laughs> so the call is, the call is that because of, God, because of who God says they are, we're called to love them. This is consistent with all the teaching that we've been doing on blessing. If you think about the first blessing, Adam and Eve, they didn't do anything to deserve it. Before they were even created, God, like as he creates them, he blesses them. They didn't do anything for it. Abraham didn't do anything to be blessed. Most of his children, like, especially like his grandchildren, do awful things. They're jerks. And yet God blesses them. Right? And so God blesses us, even though we're broken, and we do nothing to deserve it. And yet God ascribes each person unsurpassable worth and invites us to then be a multiplier of that blessing. But we have to stop asking the question as a loophole, who is my neighbor? Because that, that lawyer, it said to justify himself, asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? And much like most of the questions in the Bible that are asked of Jesus, he, he does not give a straight answer. In fact, he tells them a story, and more often than not, Jesus uses these stories called parables that, that give us a point or illustrate a point by drawing out our own kind of hypocrisy or our loopholes. And so this man asked this question in order to narrowly define neighbor, in order to get out of loving people that were different for him. In the, Israel, in the culture of Israel, the, when they say love your neighbor, it's all talking about within the community because the idea was that you live in this community of, of Israel and then God blesses that community so that the other communities see that and want that. But it's never, um, they never read it as more inclusive. Even though other places in scripture say love the foreigners among you, love the stranger, all of it, they, they narrowly define this idea of loving your neighbor as to the people who are like you and people who are close to you. And Jesus is about to challenge his loophole definition. So it says this in Luke. He says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jer Jerusalem's up on a mountaintop, a hill, and now he's going down elevation-wise into Jericho. This uh, road with lots of nooks and crannies, twists and turns, where oftentimes robbers would hide. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed him on the other side. But a Samaritan, there's so much in this one phrase, but a Samaritan. As he traveled, came uh, where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on the back of his own donkey, brought him into an inn, and they took care, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper, saying, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you the extra expense. Um, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, now Jesus pulls the loopholes tight. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which of these three? There's always a question coming. 
And then the man responds. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do the same. Do likewise. Pulls those loopholes tight. This is wrapped up culturally in a few different things. One, who are a priest and a Levite? Well, the priests come from the tribe of Levi. And so if you're the best of the best, you're a priest. And you're charged with the spiritual care, the care of all of Israel. If you're a Levite, you're part of that system and you're there to take care of the temple and to, yeah, it's part of your vocation, your job is to be a caretaker of the people of Israel. But the problem with that is if you follow the letter of the law, they cannot enter the temple, they cannot participate in their religious duties if they have touched a dead body. And so when you're passing on the road and you see someone who looks like they're dead, in order to check and see if they're dead, you have to touch them. Unless you're like, hey, you okay? No answer, right? So they just keep going. Because they've missed, the, in the letter of the law, they've missed the spirit of the law, the heart of it. They've missed the humanity. So they might not be bad people. They're just focused on their mission and they did not neighbor him. They did not fulfill the Leviticus 19.18 command that they left him. And then a Samaritan, but a Samaritan. You see, in the culture of Jesus, the Samaritans and the Jews did not talk to each other. We still see this fraction today. We still see this brokenness today culturally. You see, the Samaritans were made up of people who had been left in Israel when all of Israel was taken away. All the best and brightest were taken into captivity by the Babylonians centuries before. And these ones who were left, like married people that were brought in and they intermixed and created a different people group that was half Jewish. And when the Jewish people came back and established themselves, they offered to help. They said, hey, we'll help you build your city back. We'll help you build your temple. And they're like, nope, we're good. We don't want anything to do with you. And that created this distance and this fracture. So for Jesus to use the Samaritan as the good guy is kind of a big deal. Now, I've taught this passage a ton of times and many ways I've taught it, which is still in the text. It is absolutely true that Jesus is going after our biases. He's going after our, our tendency towards racism or sectarianism that he's saying there, are no, there is no room in the kingdom for us to measure people by where they're from or what they look like or their different culture. In fact, we are to embrace all those differences. The beautiful thing about the gospel, by the way, is you know there's no, there's no Christian worldview. They're like, oh my gosh, my pastor just said there's no Christian worldview. Because what Christ does is he goes into every single worldview. He comes into every worldview and he shows it what grace and truth look like. And then he calls, in Revelation it says, all the kingdoms of the world, everyone, every culture will bring its best before the Lord and there'll be a big party. I mean, that's awesome. And that is true of this passage, that Jesus is going after our biases. But the danger of this passage for us today is kind of ironic because we can use this passage to, do the, to, to metaphorically love neighbors a thousand miles away who are different or in different parts of the city, but we can use it as our own loophole now to get, to get out of loving the people next door to us, amen? That's right, we're like, oh yeah, absolutely, all my biases, all those gotta go, and I gotta love people who are different than me, great. You know, tell me where to open my checkbook, absolutely, that's great, that's beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. 
However, it is not a complete picture because metaphoric neighbors lead to metaphoric love. And what Jesus is inviting us to is tangible love right here, right now. As you love the person sitting next to you in this room, but as also you love the people who live next to you. And like I said before, man, I am a student of this. I, this, I confess to you, I've, I've been really like challenged in this. You know, like I come to my neighbors and I'm like, you know, uh, hey, neighbor, hi, Kona the dog. I know the dog, but I don't know the neighbor, right? Or you know what kind of car they have. Or, you know, that, that, that's the, that's the um, Mazda house, you know. Or how many kids they have. Mostly, like, for me, how many teenagers live at the end of the block because they drive so fast, right? And, I, you know, I find myself turning into the crotchety old neighbor. Slow down, children. <laughs> I'm just airing it all today, right? <laughs> you see, Jesus does not allow us the loopholes. Jesus invites us. That, that actually, who is the neighbor? Remember when he asked, which one of these three is the neighbor? The one who had mercy on him. Another way to say this, what Jesus is actually saying to us is that the one that we love sacrificially is our neighbor. And that Jesus is inviting us to love each person that we come in contact with, with this kind of love. You're like, Jeremy, how can I love everyone sacrificially? I have no idea. You're like, oh, great. This is the worst church ever. (laughs) But the truth is, is that that's God's work in us. That God's blessing in our lives has this multiplying effect. That like, you know, in the Grinch, it's like his heart was two sizes too small. What God wants to do to us is make our heart two sizes too big exploding with grace and sacrificial love. Because if we take the Bible's definition of neighbor seriously, we gotta go back to it. Neighboring is loving people where you are because of who God says they are. And this is the invitation to every single one of us. So what am I asking of you today? What what are we as a team trying to do together? Did you know we started prepping for this series back in the fall where we as a team read this book and talked about it as staff and I failed at every step of it all the way. And like, but uh, God has been touching me and speaking to me about this. Step one, which I'm still working on, learn the names of the people who live around you. Step one. Sometimes, like, the video that goes with this teaching series, the guy admits, he says, I had to eat crow and, like, walk to my neighbor and say, I know I've been around you for, like, three years, and I'm so sorry, I've forgotten your name. What is your name? And then we do something, it's high tech, it's really hard to do. We, we write it down. So we remember. In fact, we have a tool for us uh, that we're gonna be using. I'll show you my tool. Um, It's a magnet, and if you want one for your neighborhood, you can go grab it at the help desk right on the right as you get out. This goes on your fridge, and it's called a block map. And in this block map, you'll see mine right here. There it is. Has all the neighbors. You see the red? That's where I still got. (laughs) Could someone forgive me in this moment? Like, I forgive you? There we go. All right, there we go. I've been absolved. Um, But I'm growing, I'm working on it. 
You know, if you look at my block map, you know, my first, did you, my first like loophole was like, well, you know, this side is all woods behind me, so I don't really have to do that. And Kristen Logas, our group's director, was like, that's kind of cheating, can't do that. So we got a, the eight closest neighbors. And so like for me, you know, I can go from, like David lives across the street from me, you know, and instead of waving and going, hey dude, because I'm from California and we do that, I'd be like, hey, David, you know, and, and I know his name. Or like to my right in the street, Brian. You're like, hey, bro, hey, Brian. See, because when we begin to learn people's names, we begin to realize that they have a story too. And that that story, God is intimately involved with already. And our jobs as Christians is to be present and to ascribe unsurpassable worth, not in like a weird marketing sort of way, not in like I'm waiting to, to tell you about Jesus. Uh, I, hopefully that just pours out of us over time for sure, and we should be willing at all times that Peter says, be willing to share the reason for the hope. But as we begin to fill in this, it goes from like my neighbor David across the street he, um, this spring I had some trees come to our summer and um, David's like, I'm, I'm chainsawing the trees with my little hand chainsaw. And David goes, hey, hey, um, I have like a real chainsaw. I could bring it over, you wanna borrow it? I'm like, I, I'm very Midwestern now. Do you know what I said? Oh no, I'm fine. I got this. You know, and David's inviting me. So you know what I'm gonna do once the frozen tundra, because guess where the tree is still? My HOA loves me, by the way. Um, But you you chainsaw up that tree. Well, this spring, I'm gonna go over to David's. I'm gonna say, hey, David, would would you help me with the tree? Because as I get to know his name, as I get to know his story, in interchanging and having conversations, we begin to know each other. We begin to know what our kids do in our lives. And then people go from, from being just names to being stories. And then they go from being stories to being thoughts and being prayers, right? See, so your block map will look different. Like there's yours. Who lives next to you? And maybe we go and introduce ourselves. And maybe even as we put this on our fridge, and I'm inviting you all to join me in this, that every time we reach for our cold beverage or our next meal, that we pause and pray for one of them by name and see what God does with it. See how God expands our capacity to love and grows our table. We are a church of prayer. So as we close this sermon, this teaching time, we're gonna take some time and actually pray over this. But we're gonna pray over two things. One, we're gonna pray over all our neighbors, and I want you to know, if you need prayer for any reason, our team is always here after service, ready to go, ready to pray, because prayer actually changes us and it changes circumstances. God uses prayer to encourage us, to lift us up, to help us bear the burden. And then two, we're we're gonna pray over our offering that actually our resources are tied to this, that every resource we have, like God is calling us to expand our table, whatever it looks like. So, you know, as we reach out to our neighbors, we're using our resources to do so. Maybe you're throwing a neighborhood party. 
But as we bring resources to God, God uses that giving to open our hearts, to make us people of generosity and openness. And so as we think about like our prayer life, our offering, and then our mission, which are all interconnected, by the way, then let's think about how we go out of these doors, called and equipped supernaturally to love our neighbor as ourself with a sacrificial Jesus-shaped love. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your blessing in our lives. God, we pray that as we um, look to be conduits of that blessing outward, springs of living water, like Jesus says, that we would overflow with your love and your blessing. Lord, we ask that you be with our neighbors right now, the names we know and the names we don't know. And Lord, we pray that you would equip this whole church to be for the valley in a way that puts your love and grace on display that people wanna know you because of how they're loved by us. And so empower us. And Lord, we pray for every hour offered in volunteer, for every extra 10 minutes talking to a neighbor that we spend, for every dollar we spend or give to the church or wherever, that you would multiply that like loaves and fishes for your kingdom, that more people might come into the orbit of your grace. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.